Chapter fifteen of From the Easy Chair, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. From the Easy Chair, Volume two by George William Curtis. The Golden Age. In this country, we are inclined to believe that the epoch that followed the revolution was one of the utmost purity and simplicity but it was one of the fathers who said to a friend upon the adjournment of the first congress do you suppose such a set of rascals will ever assemble again in his diary john adams appeals to the calmer mind and juster judgment of the coming age meaning that in which we live and from which we look wistfully back to old john adams's cocked hat and knee breeches as the symbols of a nobler time then there is fisher ames one of the famous orators and conspicuous leaders of the beginning of the century who studying his country at the time to which we recur as the age of high purpose and lofty men bewails the sordidness selfishness and degradation around him of course he says seventy years ago the single passion that engrosses us the only avenue to consideration and importance in our society is the accumulation of property our inclinations cling to gold and are bedded in it as deeply as that precious ore in the mine as experience evinces that popularity in other words consideration and power is to be procured by the meanest of mankind the meanest in spirit and understanding and in the worst of ways it is obvious that at present the incitement to genius is next to nothing we might suppose that we were listening to a contemporary cynic and whoever reads the history of the politics of that time will find that the better days of the republic were very like the days in which we deplore their disappearance when mr ames died mr john quincy adams wrote a review of his works in which with the equanimity and moderation of the golden age he remarks it is a melancholy contemplation of human nature to see a mind so highly cultivated and so richly gifted as that of mr ames soured and exasperated into the very ravings of a bedlamite he then proceeds to speak of those who without believing mr ames's absurd and inconsistent political creed are selfishly eager for its propagation being choice spirits amounting to at most six hundred their name was the essex junto and who hold that the porcelain must rule over the earthenware the blind and sordid multitude must put themselves bound hand and foot into the custody of the lynx-eyed seraphic souls of the six hundred and then altogether must go and squat for protection under the hundred hands of the british briareus to this gentle strain mr john lowell replied in a similar vein beginning by speaking of the malignity of mr adams's sarcasm and of his following mr ames to the grave with crocodile tears informing him that he had no need to assail mr ames's friends with all the venom of an infuriated partisan because he had already obtained his reward for ratting from the federalists and this act of gratitude to his benefactors was unnecessary mr lowell ends his reply by saying that in the course of a short political life 
mr adams had received more than seventy thousand dollars from the public and that while no man pitied mr ames mr adams is an object of sincere commiseration with many a man of high and honorable feelings while it is to be doubted whether he is the object of envy to any man on earth these are glimpses of the golden age of that better day of the republic with which our own is so often and so injuriously contrasted indeed there is no finer cordial for despondency than a glance at the paradise that hovers behind our retreating steps the mountain traveller turns and sees a lovely vision floating in the sky how faintly flushed how phantom fair was monte rosa hanging there a thousand shadowy pencilled valleys and snowy dells in a golden air good lack he cries are those the crags and precipices along which i slid and stumbled in terror of my life the hanging gardens of the past the halcyon epoch of our history the lost paradise of our fathers are all crags and precipices along which the race and our country have stumbled and slid if any man is disposed to think that he has fallen upon evil times let him open his history it is a marvellous tonic does he think republics ungrateful look at mr motley's vivid portrait of john of barneveld when he was seventy-two years old he writes from his prison to his wife and family i receive at this moment the very heavy and sorrowful tidings that i an old man for all my services done well and faithfully to the fatherland for so many years must prepare myself to die to-morrow does he think irreligion undermining society look into smiles huguenots in france after the revocation of the edict of nantes for attending huguenot meetings men were captured by soldiers and sentenced to the galleys mostly for life they were chained by the neck with murderers and other criminals and were quartered in paris in the dungeon of the chateau de la tournelle thick iron collars were attached by iron chains to the beams the collar was closed around the prisoner's neck and riveted with blows of a hammer upon an anvil twenty men in pairs were chained to each beam they could not sleep lying they could not sleep sitting or standing up straight for the beam was too high for the one and too low for the other this was done in the name of religion the age of louis the fourteenth is called one of the great epochs of the world it was an age in which the king's mistress persuaded him to slaughter and banish hundreds of thousands of his subjects because of their religious faith and the great preachers of his church applauded and the holy father approved and even madame de sevigne whose letters some young ladies at newport and saratoga are diligently reading and sighing for the good old witty times in which she lived wrote of the most innocent and most devoted men hanging is quite a refreshment to me they have just taken twenty-four or thirty of these men and are going to throw them off the golden age is not yesterday or to-morrow but to-day it is the age in which we live not that in which somebody else lived the trouble vexation corruption weakness selfishness meanness which dismay us and tempt us to despair are the old lions that have always beset the path no man is born out of time and what man living to-day who is not pinched with poverty or disease would have lived a thousand years ago if our politics seem mean and our men small 
how does alfred's time seem or the glory of athens or the court of louis the fourteenth or luther's germany what did jefferson think of hamilton or the aurora say of washington End of chapter 15